Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Bishop completes our trilogy on the afterlife with an episode on heaven. There is much revealed to us by God about it, but much remains a mystery too. Find out more this week. Welcome to Truth and Charity. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you for taking time to complete our trilogy. You're welcome, Kyle. I think, um, yeah, we've had an episode on purgatory, an episode uh-huh. on hell. We have to have an episode on heaven. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Got to end with the, the hope, with the joy. Right? Exactly, exactly. So maybe to start with the topic of heaven, maybe just what does the church teach about heaven? And do we know that it exists other than biblical references? Or is that just where we get our, what we know about heaven is from the Bible? Yeah. What we know about heaven has been revealed to us by God. So uh-huh. it's, um, yes, it's contained in both scripture and tradition, sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Basically, that if we die in God's grace and friendship and we're purified, we will live forever with Christ and we'll see God as he is, face to face, what we call the beatific vision. Basically, it's the our ultimate end. Our ultimate purpose is to be in the presence of the most holy trinity, the communion of love communion of life, which is God himself. And with the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the saints, all the angels, that'll be the fulfillment of our deepest longings as human beings, definitive, perfect happiness, something that we can't really imagine. St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians wrote that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. So it's even beyond our imagining. It's it's kind of in the presence of pure love. That's what heaven is. Uh, we'll see God with a new kind of sight that we don't yet have in this world. We have a glimpse, of course, but we'll have this love permeate every aspect of our lives our relationships with each other, with God. No selfishness will be left in us. So it's it's a life of perfection. Um, mm-hmm. It's the life of the kingdom. It's what we hear about promised. I mean, obviously, Jesus spoke a lot about heaven. You know, I think of the Beatitudes where, you know, Jesus says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed mm. are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So there's this pro- these promises connected with each of the Beatitudes. And it was, of course, by our Lord's death and resurrection that, uh, that he opened heaven for us and uh, accomplished through his death our redemption so that we can rise with him, and be glorified with him. Of course, we we have faith in him and we strive to be faithful to his will so that we will enter heaven someday. I mean, that's that should be our ultimate ultimate purpose for married couples, that they help each other 
to get to heaven, help their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this communion with God and with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it's beyond our uh, understanding because we're in this world. And But it's interesting in the Bible, there are a lot of images that are used for heaven. They speak of mm-hmm. it as light and peace, the image of a wedding feast, because you think of the joy of a wedding feast. Jesus speaks of the wine of the kingdom. Uh, he, he speaks of heaven as the Father's house. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. Sometimes in Scripture, it refers to the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Sometimes it's referred to as paradise. These are all images and then the church calls um, this contemplation of God in his heavenly glory, it speaks of it as the beatific vision, and that will fulfill all of our thirsts and all of our hungers. It'll quench all of our thirsts. Just to be in, the, in God's embrace, the embrace of infinite love, will fulfill all our, our desires. So there are several things that you mentioned in there that I'd like to circle around back to. One of them is you mentioned the beatific vision. Yes. What what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, basically, it means what we hear in the Beatitudes about the pure in heart, that they shall see God. Because now, because God is transcendent, he can't be seen as he is uh, unless he opens up his mystery to our contemplation and gives us the capacity for that. So to contemplate God in his heavenly glory is, is um, we only get glimpses on earth, but in heaven we would have the beatific vision. Beatific basically means, um, beatific comes from the word beatus, the blessed vision of God. There's a quote by St. Cyprian in one of his letters uh, that's quoted in the in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, St. Cyprian wrote, How great will your glory and happiness be to be allowed to see God, to be honored with sharing the joy of salvation and eternal light with Christ your Lord and God, to delight in the joy of immortality in the kingdom of heaven with the righteous and God's friends. So this is more than physical sight, Okay. Hmm. This is even more than that. And I think we usually imagine a place. Is that is that a good way to to think about heaven as a, a place, or is it different than that? It's more than uh more than that because it's more than a physical place. I mean, we do speak of a the new heavens and the new earth, but it's a a, a new kind of existence. In wow. other words, when you think of the risen Christ, he was no longer bound by by things like walls and doors. He could pass through, okay? Right. So it's kind of like Pope Benedict would speak of this evolutionary leap. So it's a new dimension of reality. In that sense, it's a mystery because we have no experience of that. Right. Um, I guess I'd call it like something that it's a transformed state of existence is what I would say. Yeah. And another thing you said was perfect happiness. So, and, and I've heard some people say it's, 
it's perfect happiness forever. You know, like you can't get longer than that and you can't get better than that. It's perfect. If there were any way for it to be for you to be more happy, then you would have that because that would make it more perfect. So would that mean that there's no sadness in heaven? Correct. I mean, it's it's pure joy. Uh because God is our joy. You know, like we can speak of how even now Christ is our joy, but we don't fully appreciate that joy. Uh, and, and that won't be fully appreciated until the life of heaven, but there will be no sadness. Yeah. So how does that work when we think about potentially loved ones that uh, of ours might not be in heaven? Mm-hmm because of choices they've made or because of the lives they've lived? Yeah, I've heard that question before. Um, I think the fact is, um, would that diminish the joy of heaven? You know, the if someone that we loved is, is not there. Um, somehow, you know, we do know from the book of Revelation, it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So somehow we won't be sad about the damned. You know, I think in some ways God will wipe away our memories clean. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's still a mystery. Um, but in heaven, we won't be living in the past. We won't have regrets. We'll have no fears. We'll be with God. So we'll be so fulfilled that God will spare us, I think, from that sadness. So maybe jumping back to the episode that we did on purgatory, is that part of that purgation process of being released of that guilt or sadness before we enter heaven? I think so. I think that's part of purgatory. Yep. I mean, some of this is speculative, you know, we're, you know, it's, you know, we're speculating here, but, but I think that makes sense as part of the purgation. Yeah. So I have a bunch of questions that I've come up with, as well as other staff members and family and friends. So if you don't mind, maybe just kind of going through some of these. For example, a lot of times when we have images of heaven, paintings and whatnot, you know, we there's a typical scene of of clouds and people and angels and halos. And how much of that would be fairly accurate because of divine revelation and visions that people have had versus it being fictitious art. Yeah. I think it's art. It's it, their images to express what is a reality that's beyond our senses. So uh-huh. um, the idea of, of wings and halos and white robes and all of that, you know, some of those image biblical images are precisely that in scripture. They're images mm-hmm. like the winged seraphs, for example, the angels. So I think they're it's the best we can do as human beings. I mean, when you think of some of those images, they're bright. I mean, clearly heaven is all light. You know, so mm-hmm. so some of these images kind of are reflecting the beauty, I mean, the beauty of life in heaven is complete. So we can have these images that are beautiful to us here on earth, but they don't totally capture the beauty of, of the life of heaven. 
Okay, so there may or may not be harps. Right, uh, right. Is that what I'm right, getting? Right, okay. there may or may not be. You know, is there going to be music in heaven? I mean, those are the yeah. interesting questions. Yeah. What about these people that have near-death experiences or even maybe their body physically dies and then they come back to life and they have this experience of like light at the end of the tunnel, maybe uh, seeing other past loved ones, family, friends that have died? Is, is that something that we should put much stock into or or do you think maybe it's similar to a dream and it doesn't have any kind of spiritual weight to it? Uh, I kind of think there is something to those near-death experiences. I mean, we have no church, you don't have to believe in them, but no church definitive teaching on that. But mm -hmm. I think there's something to it because so many people have had that kind of experience. Yeah. A lot of times when we talk about the sacraments, we we're told like it's a taste of heaven. What what does that mean? Especially the Holy Eucharist, a foretaste of heaven, because uh -huh. remember that image of the banquet feast of heaven is a beautiful image. So I yes, I think because the sacraments are encounters with God. Okay. Now it's still veiled, for example, Jesus present under the forms of bread and wine. So we don't see Jesus as he is. But we still do see Jesus um, mm -hmm. in the host and in the in his precious blood, but it's veiled under the form forms of bread and wine. So, in that sense, there is a taste of heaven on earth because it's it's the taste of God. God is there, and uh, especially in the Eucharist, His substantial presence, but even His invisible presence, the grace in the other sacraments are all a taste of heaven. I would say also in prayer sometimes, especially if one experiences joys and consolations in prayer. I mean, one experiences God's love in one's prayer. That's all a taste of heaven. It's just that it's going to be so much greater in heaven. Well, I want to continue this conversation, but just a reminder for those that are listening, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can always just text us on the Holy Cross College text line at 260 Four three six ninety five ninety eight. You just text your question there. We will put it into a future show. Maybe even make it into a whole show itself. But we're going to talk more about heaven, what marriage looks like, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we are finishing our three-part series. We did purgatory, and then we talked about hell, and now we are talking about heaven. And one of the things that I've maybe heard a couple different expressions of is, are there different levels in heaven? Like, uh, I, I know there's different choirs of angels, for example, you know, the a hierarchy within the angels. Does the same thing happen for humans, which I guess maybe is another question or, or a clarification that humans become saints, they don't become angels. Right. Yeah. I mean, we will have glorified bodies. So 
we're not just disembodied souls, uh-huh. you know, after the resurrection of the body. So we don't become angels. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the angels, we do have this um, really accepted Catholic belief that there are nine nine choirs of angels, kind of this hierarchy mm-hmm. of angels. And it's not official church dogma, but it's kind of a common huh. Catholic belief. Uh, of course, what are angels? They're pure spirits. They're agents of God. They have different roles given to them by God. The highest order of the choir of angels is the uh, seraphim, you know, which we read about in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. They are the attendants before God's throne. And then after the seraphim in the hierarchy would be the cherubim. After that, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, archangels, principalities, and then just angels. So uh-huh. the reason we have these nine choirs is they're all mentioned somewhere you know, different places in scripture. And the church has kind of put mm-hmm. them together as this hierarchy of angels. The same thing would be for human beings, because I think that was your question. Um, mm-hmm. And the joy of heaven is kind of unique for, for different people. The, uh, For example, someone, um, everyone would be perfectly happy, but I would say the capacity for joy would differ, you know, hierarchically. This is kind okay. of hard to explain. Um, but let's say the joy of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, she would be at the top of this hierarchy of humans. But it wouldn't be something like any, there wouldn't be any jealousy or any feeling like, oh, I wish I had her joy. No, we'll all be uh-huh. perfectly fulfilled with the joy that we have in heaven. But her capacity to receive love and receive that joy would be greater because of her 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 ability to or her desire and and willingness to show that love on earth. Yeah, Is that yeah. her okay. total openness to God's grace, all of God's grace? So it wouldn't necessarily be different levels, or no, I I think. Um, I've read a little bit about this, not a lot in certain, you know, theology. Um, but the fact is, since we all will be in perfect communion with God, that we'll be sharing in the community of the blessed, it's almost like there should be no worry. Mm-hmm. But I would need to look a little bit more into that to answer that question better, Kyle. Well, what would we do in heaven then? Will there be chores or uh, will we eat in heaven? Are we just sitting around watching God? Some, might, <laughs> some people might think the way you're describing heaven kind of sounds kind of boring. Yeah, well, it'll be, it will be anything but boring. Uh, <laughs> okay. It'll be the most interesting. Uh, how can I compare it? I mean, there's nothing that can compare, but I guess I'd go back to that whole issue of the joy of love that, image of of the wedding feast you know do we ever get bored by love no love is always exciting and interesting Uh, and to be experiencing love endlessly really means never getting bored you know for example here on earth we get to know and love more and more somebody that we already know and love (laughs) and i think that would it's like this fascination so i would say that with god We'll never get bored 
because we have this eternal destiny of infinite fascination. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So I think this is a question that probably every parent has to deal with at some point. And maybe parents still have the question, what about our pets? Will we see our pets in heaven? I think. Do all dogs go to heaven? I think uh, the philosopher Peter Kreeft or Kreft uh-huh. said, why not? Uh, you okay. know, when, when we read about a new heaven and a new earth, why not? the animals, you know, I mean, if we're going to be perfectly happy and, and of course, um, you know, maybe the animals are, again, the church has no definitive teaching on this. Mm-hmm. If that's what God has in store, um, but everything will be transformed in this new heaven and new earth and everything can mediate God's love and goodness. So I'd say, why not? Would that go for all living things, including like plants? Yeah, exactly. And okay. I mean, we don't know because it speaks of new earth yeah. and new heavens. What we do know, though, that there wouldn't be corruption, okay? So plants wouldn't die, mm. okay, or animals for that matter. Mm-hmm. And there'll be no pain. So even our bodies will be incorruptible. But yet, Jesus's glorified body still had the physical marks of his wounds. Right. So we wonder, you know, could that be for us as well? Right. And I guess then what would that say for somebody who maybe died in an explosion or something like that, where the the wounds would be kind of all over? Would, Would we have those wounds as well? Maybe there would be some wound from that that's... um, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We talk about glorified bodies and the the resurrection. Is there a period of time between our death and this resurrection of the body? Yeah, the resurrection of the body doesn't come until the end of time, uh, the final judgment. So we have what's called an intermediate state where our souls are separated from our bodies. We pray, may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. So there Mm -hmm. is, yeah, what we can call an intermediary state until the resurrection of the body. Okay. And maybe my last question, and maybe you have more to, to enlighten us on, but is in the marriage vows, we say until death do us part. Why are we not married in the afterlife? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, because our f- total fulfillment will be in God, okay? So not in another human being. You know, there will be no marriage in heaven. You know, we read that in Scripture. We'll be like the angels in neither marrying nor being given in marriage, according to Jesus' answer to the Sadducees. Now, does that mean that we're neutered? No. We're not going to be genderless, but at the same time, we're— we're transformed. Uh, so we'll have these transformed bodies, but they'll still be real as Christ's body was real after his resurrection, his glorified body. Uh, you know, it was a body that could be touched. He could eat, for example, but at the same time, he could walk through doors that were unopened. Um, uh-huh. So it was the same body he had before he died. They, 
and it was recognized as such by his friends, yet it was also different. At first, they didn't recognize him. So our new right. resurrection body will be somehow related to the body that we have now. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how is our body now in relationship to the body we had when we were in our mother's womb? So it's going to be like our same self, same body, but we've will have grown kind of radically <laughs> in uh, in this this new state. Maybe that's an analogy. So our marriage vows are for this lifetime until death do us part. But a priest vows, and it would also baptism and confirmation. Those are eternal yeah because it's it's indelible mark on the soul right uh so there are baptism and uh confirmation and holy orders but you don't so have that all in marriage carry with us right right it's, those are permanent marks yeah well this has been very enlightening anything else about heaven that we're missing well there's so much mysterious um, uh -huh. beyond our comprehension, but I think it's good to to think about heaven. Of course, the virtue uh, is hope. I mean, that's uh, a beautiful virtue, and we all have this vocation. We're all called to this glorious life. That's our end. That's our purpose. But we should live in hope of the glory of heaven because it was something that God promised to those who love him and those who do his will. So no matter what happens in our life, we should have hope that uh, we'll persevere to the end and obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for those who've who followed his son, who've accomplished good works with the grace of Christ, and we should long for this, to be united with Christ in the glory of heaven. There might be a, uh, quote another saint, it's also in the Catechism, St. Teresa of Avila. She longed to be with her bridegroom, with Jesus. And this is what she wrote. Hope, O oh my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God, and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that can never end. Hmm. So hope, and we should rejoice in hope. And when we're under trial, to be patient in in, in tribulation, St. Paul wrote to the Romans. And of course, our hope is nourished in prayer. Prayer is so important to help us to live in hope, especially when we struggle. Um, and, you know, St. Paul says that hope does not disappoint, that uh, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. And is that hope different than confidence? I think maybe our, our Protestant brothers and sisters would, would talk about being saved and they would have this confidence that they are going to heaven. Should we be confident that we're going to heaven or should we? I think confidence is, is, is a good word for actually is a more Catholic approach to hope. 
okay. that we have confidence. No, some of the Protestants that you refer to, theirs really isn't confidence. Theirs saying they're sure. Oh, yeah. Certainty. Certainty, yeah. No, okay. we have confidence, but we don't have certainty. We don't have intellectual okay. certain certitude. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. This has been great. And uh, again, if you missed any of the past episodes, you can just look a, a few back. We did one on purgatory, then one on hell, and this is available on heaven. I feel like it gives a very full picture of the afterlife, even though there are so many things that we don't know. There are many mysteries about it, but uh, we can look forward and hope for that eternal time in heaven. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Bishop. You're welcome. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.